The title of this morning's message is Abraham's Future and Hope. This morning we are going to be continuing in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, and we will be looking at some of Abraham's story. He has a big story, but we're just going to do part of it. Abraham's faith and patience brought forth his future and his hope. His future was the life that God wanted to lead him into through faith. And his hope was his confident expectation of good continuously coming from God's hand. Now, faith is being fully persuaded in our heart of a truth from God or a truth about God that comes from God. <laughs> it's about, like Mark just said, about hearing the voice of God, hearing Holy Spirit speak. You and I cannot make faith. Years ago, God taught me faith through the faith movement, and I thank God for them because my little holiness church had no idea what to do with faith. You prayed and you crossed your fingers. Literally. <laughs> hope God hears me. Hope God does something because, you know, you just never know what God's going to do. That's not the scripture. <laughs> God tells us what he's already done. <laughs> and it's because of what he's already done and he's already provided. We can have faith. We can take hold of all the goodness of our Father by faith. So faith comes by the spoken word of God being heard in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And he persuades our hearts to trust what God says or has said so that we can do what God says. And doing what God says will always lead us into entering into what God has for us. A good future and an abundant hope. I took the idea of a future and a hope from Jeremiah 29, 11. Even though this scripture was not spoken to Abraham, <laughs> it does reveal God's heart for his children and for the land he had given them. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God never plans evil for his children. God never plans sickness for his children. God never plans lack for his children. He has already provided for all of those things to be taken care of by our faith in him. God actually spoke these particular words to the prophet Jeremiah, specifically on behalf of the kingdom of Judah. When God sent them out of the land of Israel and into exile in Babylon for their time out, <laughs> they had been naughty, <laughs> very, very naughty. And so they went into a very, very long time out. This time out of the land of Israel was both a punishment and a protection. That's just our God. <laughs> God's people not living in their own land was always a form of punishment due to their sins. But this punishment was always meant to teach them, to reveal to them that being faithful to the one true and living God was the only way to stay in the land that God had given them. So going into exile in Babylon was a form of punishment. It was a time out. 
because God told them to do well there. He said, plant vineyards, build houses, give your daughters in marriage. You're going into exile, but I want you to have a good time while you're there. (laughs) Because he's good, and he always plans good for his children, even if they're in time out. (laughs) So God also used this time out to protect Judah from being killed by other foreign powers. Lots of war going on. And God just basically took them out of the midst of the wars and put them in Babylon where they would be safe and they could have a good life for the next 70 years. It was the time out. It was punishment, yes, but (laughs) when God punishes you, it doesn't look like it. (laughs) God doesn't punish our sins. Our sins punish us. In the New Covenant, the Apostle Paul says, be very careful to not use your freedom for licentiousness because it only produces death and destruction. Sin produces misery, not God. So God told Jeremiah to tell the people that they were supposed to accept responsibility for their actions. (laughs) And they were supposed to submit to God's prescribed punishment by submitting to their conquering enemy and becoming captives to the Babylonians. And if they decided they didn't want to submit to God's will, that they wanted to fight the enemy in their own strength, God would let them. But they would find themselves at the end of their enemy's sword. And that's not what God wanted for them. So in Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 14, God reveals his desire for his people to come back, (laughs) to come out of the time out, (laughs) and to live in the land that God had given to both Abraham and his descendants. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Verse 14 is probably one of my favorite verses simply because of the first part of this verse. I will be found by you. (laughs) I will get in your face. I will get all up in your business. (laughs) I will make you hear me because you're mine. These words were really important at that time in history, especially for the few faithful believers that remained, (laughs) and also for those who had decided to repent and take responsibility for their actions, is important to them too, because of how the Hebrews believed and saw their land and temple. In Babylon, there would be no temple. And without their temple, there would be no sacrifices for sin. No sin offerings could be offered to God in a foreign land. Unacceptable. (laughs) so they had no sacrifices for sin how then could they be made right with God by faith the people of Judah needed to exercise their faith and believe that God would still accept them and bless them and want them to have a good time in Babylon (laughs) apart from temple sacrifices if they continued to seek his face hear his voice, and live according to his desires for them. 
The word that is translated as a phrase, I will be found by you, carries the idea of God manifesting himself or revealing himself to each believer in such a way that they could understand and believe that God was still with them and he was still for them, even when they were in a well-deserved timeout in a foreign land. The Hebrews both then and now believed that the only land on earth that is or can be truly blessed is the nation of Israel. And that all other nations are heathens <laughs> and are dominated by Satan. <laughs> Even in the present, many Israelites believe that the purpose of Israel's existence today is to bring the whole world into Judaism and Torah observance. They believe that the Messiah, their Messiah, will appear when the whole world has already been converted to Judaism. <laughs> they got a lot of work, <laughs> and they're really not getting very far. <laughs> Even in Israel, only about 40% of the nation of Israel is Torah observant. So they believed that Israel today has the problems that she has because too many Israelis are not Torah observant which means to them that God cannot fully bless them and take them into their good future and abundant hope. It's all about them winning the world to Judaism. Why does the nation of Israel believe that only Israel is blessable and everyone else is under the power of Satan? Well, it's a combination of what happened at the Tower of Babel and the promises God made to Abraham. In Genesis 11, we find the brief story of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. I have it for you in the ESV, verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and bitumen, or pitch, for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The people of that day just basically spurned God's commands to Noah's sons to be fruitful and multiply and spread out <laughs> and fill up the earth. Instead, they had a plan of their own, which was to stay in one place and to make of themselves a great name. And so they built what is known as a ziggurat. Ziggurats were pyramid-like structures, only they were flat on the top. And they were used for the express purposes of worshiping false gods. The sun, the moon, the stars, and the so-called gods, they thought, moved those things around. So, in verse 5, the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language. This is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose or imagine to do will now be impossible for them. The King James uses the word imagination. And for us, that's probably a little bit better. <laughs> nothing that they would propose or imagine that they could do. Now, this word that's translated proposed carries the idea of not just imaginations, but evil imaginations in particular. So he was saying, if I don't stop this, 
these evil imaginations are going to boil over into evil actions, and evil will run amok. <laughs> and God said, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> We're not doing that. <laughs> so because God hates evil, he never, he never plans evil, ever. God hates evil because evil always hurts the humans he loves. And he loves all his humans, the ones who love him and the ones who don't. So God steps in here once again and keeps humanity from running headfirst into unrestrained evil. <laughs> they needed to be stopped. Verse 17. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. In other words, God got his way. <laughs> you could have went along with him <laughs> and done it the easy way, but nope, God had to make it happen. In this brief story, we see that God caused the scattering of people into different groups by changing their languages for the express purpose of restraining the progression of evil. And he also hands them over to having their own way and their own so-called gods. You never want your own way. <laughs> Just in case you're not sure. You never want your own fleshly way. What you want is God's way. When God scattered their languages, he also apportioned territory to each fallen angel. I'll just go ahead and say it right there. In this brief story, we see that God caused the scattering of people into different groups by changing their languages in order to restrain the progression of evil. But he also hands them over to their own way and over to their own gods. God never makes us choose him. He always honors our free will. So we can see this handing over in Deuteronomy chapter 32 in verses 8 and 9. Here, Moses reminds Israel that she is the Lord's inheritance. She is his special possession. She belongs to him alone, and she is not like all the other nations. Verse 8. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage, his special possession. I chose the ESV for these two verses because they correctly translate the last part of verse 8 as the sons of God. Now, we recently learned about some of these sons of God <laughs> and God having to destroy <laughs> most of the world. Same entities, sons of God. Most translations use the term sons of Israel which makes absolutely no sense at all. Because when God said this, there was no Israel. <laughs> so translators have preferred to hide the fact that this says sons of God. A lot of scholars prefer not to think in terms of supernatural beings. They want to just deal with Israel. <laughs> But God is a supernatural being, and angels are supernatural beings. There just happens to be good ones and bad ones. <laughs> and so there's no point in hiding 
what this scripture says. What I want you to see is that God gave the nations angelic overseers who were supposed to rule over their appointed nation. Now, it doesn't tell us if these angelic beings started out on Team Yahweh, but then chose to forfeit their allegiance to the one true and living God, or if God simply gave the nations over to the demonic entities that they were originally worshiping at the Tower of Babel. But either way, the outcome was the same. The nations were under the spiritual dominion of rogue angels. <laughs> Not because that's what God wanted, but because that is what the people wanted. And God always honors our free will. You can see this truth of these spiritual realities, of these rogue overseers, over in Daniel chapter 10, verses 10 through 14. Here, Daniel is in Babylonian captivity. And he's seeking God for understanding. And God sends him a good angel <laughs> to visit him to answer his prayers and to give him understanding. Beginning with verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Again, this goes right back to Jeremiah 29, 11. I will hear you when you seek me with all your heart, even if you're in captivity. <laughs> Verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for days yet to come. These visions had everything to do with the Hebrew baby believers in the book of Hebrews. <laughs> the destruction prophesied in Daniel was regarding the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70. These were not prophecies regarding the so-called end of the world. They were prophecies regarding what would happen to Daniel's people, the Jewish nation, in the latter days after the Messiah had come. What I want you to see is the spiritual reality that existed for all the nations prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. These spiritual realities were ingrained in the Hebrew baby believers' mindsets. These beliefs would have heightened their determination to stay in Jerusalem, because that's the only place you can be really blessed, <laughs> in spite of what Jesus told them to do, which was to leave town, <laughs> because Jerusalem was supposed to be where they would find the fullness of God's blessing. Jerusalem and Israel were basically considered to be God's country, but it was considered the only country. God had released them to be ruled over by these angelic beings. So the only country that basically God was orchestrating was Israel. Now he does intervene <laughs> in all those other countries because he's God. <laughs> And we can see if through the scripture that God uses naughty countries to discipline Israel, who was being naughty. 
God had promised the land of Canaan from which the nation of Israel would spring forth to Abraham and his descendants. And we can see this in Genesis chapter 15, beginning with verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Amorites were the current residents in Canaan at that time, and it wasn't time for God to usher them out. So God had told them they, they weren't going to go there yet. They were going to go away for four generations, but then they were going to come back. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between those pieces. God was making covenant with Abraham. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So the land of Canaan, or the land that would become national Israel, was, back then, the only land whose sole proprietor was God himself. And God promised that he would show himself faithful and strong to Israel and on behalf of Israel, and that Israel, through her faithfulness, he would show himself strong to the rest of the world. Israel was to be the light of the world. They were supposed to display the greatness and goodness of their God. Now, in actuality, all the earth is the Lord's. <laughs> he has never given up ownership. But God gave dominion over the earth to mankind through Adam and Eve, who very quickly forfeited their ruling and reigning privileges <laughs> by choosing to disbelieve the words of God. And their unbelief caused them to act in direct disobedience to what God had said to them. And they fell into the darkness. From that time on, mankind lived under the power of sin and death in the kingdom of darkness. But even then, I love this, God never left them. Even when God had to drive Adam and Eve out of the garden for their own protection, here we see it again, it looks like punishment, but he's like, if I leave you in there, you will eat of that tree and live forever in the state you are. So I'm not going to let you do that. <laughs> so was it a punishment? In one sense, it was also protection, more so protection. But when he took them out of the garden, he went with them because they were his people and they still belonged to him. They had freedom of choice. They had freedom to do as they pleased or their freedom to do as God pleased. But God didn't leave them. I heard a pastor once say, Yep, God was mad at him, and he kicked him out of the garden, and he never talked to him again. And it's like, it doesn't say that. <laughs> In fact, you see God talking to everybody all of the time. <laughs> but we have these mindsets that we think are true, that we've interpreted. And we have to go to the scripture to actually find the truth. Even after the Tower of Babel incident, God continued to initiate and orchestrate the beginning of his great plan of redemption by calling Abram, who became Abraham, to come out of the land or the kingdom of darkness, prophetically speaking, 
and into the land or kingdom of God by receiving right standing with God simply by believing that what God had said to him. He did what Adam and Eve failed to do. He simply believed. And this is where we pick up the story as seen in Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 8. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going. Abraham stepped out in faith. Most likely the author knew that this verse would have been very encouraging to the Hebrew baby believers he was writing to. And that's because they knew all about Abraham and they knew he left everything he was familiar with behind when he chose to follow God's word to him. And the only exceptions were his father, his nephew, and his wife. Abraham didn't even know exactly where he would end up. And that's pretty much how God still operates with his people today. (laughs) He doesn't usually tell us the end from the beginning. Instead, he wants us to learn to walk with him in faith letting him lead us into wherever he wants us to go. He wants to lead us into that good future and abundant hope. The Hebrew baby believers were very much in the same kind of place as Abraham was. They knew God had called them to get out of Jerusalem, just like Abraham was supposed to get out of the city of Ur. But they didn't know exactly when they were leaving or where exactly they would end up. Again, sounds very much like Abraham. And just like Abraham, they needed to believe that God knew what he was doing. (laughs) We need to believe that God knows what he is doing. He sees everything and he knows everything. If there's one person we should be listening to, it would be the voice of our father. He knows everything. (laughs) And he had a plan to take Hebrew baby believers into the future he had planned for them. He had that miraculous escape route, but they didn't have to wait for that. They could have left early. (laughs) But God wanted them to look to Abraham and go, okay, you had a future and a hope, and God took you into it step by step. God has a future and a hope for each one of us too. He has a plan for our lives. If we're breathing, he's got a plan. (laughs) and he wants us to believe him and cooperate. They just needed to put their trust in his word to them and then wait patiently until the opportunity to leave was made apparent. Verse 9. He lived by faith as an immigrant in his promised land as though it belonged to someone else. He journeyed through the land living in tents with Isaac and Jacob who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. And that promise can be seen in Genesis 26, verses 3 and 4. This is God speaking to Isaac. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and I will bless thee. For unto thee and to thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath that I swear unto Abraham thy father. And I will make thy seed to multiply as stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed and not cursed. 
So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all knew what God was going to do in their future, the future they wouldn't actually get to physically see. He would be with them, and he would bless them, and he would see to it that their descendants would take possession of the promised land. And even though the land was promised to Abraham, he never actually owned any of it, (laughs) except for the cave he purchased for his wife Sarah for her burial. But that didn't stop Abraham from living in the land and living in God's blessing. And it doesn't appear that Abraham was bothered in the least, that he had no physical permanent dwelling place. He appeared to be happy to live in tents and move about freely. Perhaps that's because he knew and understood that he was part of something much bigger than what his physical eyes could see. His living in the land that God promised to him and his descendants was just evidence (laughs) that God was truly a keeper and a fulfiller of his word and his promises. God promised Abraham that his descendants would be more numerous than the stars in the sky and more numerous than the sands along the seashore. And he also promised that all the nations of the earth would be blessed. You know, all those ones that had rogue angels ruling over them. (laughs) The Hebrew baby believers needed to remember the original promise that all the nations of the earth would be blessed, not just national Israel and not just in Jerusalem. All the cities and all the nations throughout the entire earth were now under new management. (laughs) They needed to remember that their blessings didn't come from an earthly territory, but from a heavenly one, one with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself, which is Hebrews 11.10. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. Abraham was well aware that there was more to life than the here and now. He understood that God lived and operated in a realm he could not see. He knew that God could appear as a human, but still be a spirit. And he deduced that God was ready and able to even raise the dead, even though he had never seen such a thing. Now, neither testament tells us how Abraham knew what he was looking for with his eyes of faith. But we do know who revealed it to him. Jesus said this when speaking with the Pharisees in John chapter 8, verses 56 through 58. Jesus said to them, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? (laughs) Really? (laughs) And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. It is clear from the scriptures that the pre-incarnate Christ appeared to Abraham over and over and over again. And obviously, they had conversations that were not recorded in the Old Testament. (laughs) But Jesus reveals it to us in the New Testament that Abraham knew and understood, at least to some degree, God's entire plan of redemption. Abraham saw far more with the eyes of faith than the Old Testament had originally revealed. But Abraham wasn't the only one who had faith in God's word. Sarah also heard the word of the Lord regarding her future and her hope. 
and she laughed. What? <laughs> Having a baby at my age? What? <laughs> Impossible. Except it wasn't. <laughs> God is able to make all grace, all divine enablement abound to us so that by faith and patience we can apprehend and walk into our good future and our good hope. And that's exactly what Sarah did. Verse 11, Sarah's faith embraced the miracle power to conceive, even though she was barren and past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise. And she tapped into his faithfulness. Her faith was not in her own ability or in her husband's ability. Her faith and trust was in the one who promised. She heard for herself that she would bear a child. And her response was laughter, which is why Isaac was named Isaac. It means laughter. Verse 12. In fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith, one who was as good as dead, that now he has offspring as innumerable as the sand on the seashore and as the stars in the sky. The Hebrew baby believers were themselves, this is great, the evidence of God's faithfulness to Abraham. They were living in the land that he promised. All they had to do was recognize, oh, we're here because of that, because he listened to God. He had to leave his home too. <laughs> he had to leave everything behind too. If Abraham can do it by faith, so could they. So they were themselves the evidence of God's faithfulness to Abraham. In verse 13, these heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised to them. But they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They lived all their lives on the earth as those who belonged to another realm. I love the way they put that. You see, in the New Covenant, we recognize that we live in a different realm. We have our life in a different kingdom. We don't live in the kingdom of darkness. We live in the kingdom of light. And these people began to realize it too, that this spiritual realm wasn't just darkness. God lived in this spiritual realm, and they lived from that source. They lived as though they belonged to his realm. The reason they... the Author once says this to the Hebrew baby believers because he wants them to recognize the same thing. <laughs> he wants them to recognize that they belong to another realm, the realm of the spirit, the kingdom of God, and it's all accessed by faith in what we hear God say. This is such a great encouragement for the Hebrew baby believers. They actually already belonged to and lived in the kingdom of God's dear son. But their old mindsets and their circumstances and their fears were trying to talk them out of their good future and their abounding hope in what God had already supplied. All they needed to do was to believe the word of God to them, just like Sarah. When we hear God speak, it produces the faith. It activates the faith we already have. We can't make it. <laughs> we can't make faith by trying to memorize scriptures. We need to read the scriptures so that the voice can speak. <laughs> That's 
That's why I read my Bible, because I want to hear God speak about anything and everything, and he will if we give him the time and opportunity. Now, sometimes believers get a little nervous about this verse because it kind of sounds like maybe God doesn't always keep his promises. <laughs> I had someone call me one time, what about this verse? I've got promises. Is this, does this mean God can take them back? Not at all. <laughs> These particular promises refer to the ones about the land and the earth and the blessing and the descendants of Abraham. There was no way that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob could live long enough on the earth to see that prophecy fulfilled. That's what it was talking about. They knew God would do it because they were living in the land. That was already part of the promise. <laughs> the same for the Hebrew baby believers. If God says he will take us out of here safely, the fact that I live in the nation of Israel is evidence that God is faithful to his word. And I can trust him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob died long before its fulfillment, especially the fulfillment that came through Christ. But again, they all saw them fulfilled through the eyes of faith. Because just like Sarah, they too judged God as faithful. Verse 14. For clearly, those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city. Those who live like they belong to the spiritual realm now <laughs> know that the new Jerusalem will one day physically appear in its fullness. But for the Hebrew baby believers, it has already spiritually appeared. The Hebrew baby believers were in the city set on a hill, the city that Jesus talked about. They were spiritually already part of the new spiritual Jerusalem. Verse 15. And if their hearts were still remembering what they had left behind, they would have found an opportunity to go back. Now he's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <laughs> the Hebrew baby believers were at a place where they were contemplating going back into Judaism as a way of saving themselves from severe persecution. But if they would follow Abraham's example of faith and patience, they too would only look forward to the future and the hope that God had already provided for them. They would look forward to the confident expectation of God's goodness and the complete fulfillment of his promises. Verse 16. But they couldn't turn back, for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater. That is the heavenly realm, the spiritual realm. So because of this, God is not ashamed in any way to be called their God. For he has prepared a heavenly city for them. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are already in the new Jerusalem. <laughs> and so are the Hebrew baby believers. <laughs> we are part of that city. According to Revelation, the body of Christ is the new Jerusalem. The Hebrew baby believers, they need to hear why the old covenant heroes of faith did not turn back to their former lives in their former cities. And it was because of who and what they had fixed their hearts on. Their hearts were fixed on the God who promises to be found by them, the God who promises to be with them forever, the God who promises to bless them, the God who promises them a future and a hope to any and all who will seek him with all of their heart. And their future and hope wasn't just for this life, but it was also for the next. 
And that's what the author of Hebrews was still hoping to instill in his Hebrew baby believers. Faith in the God who keeps and fulfills his promises. We too need to judge God faithful. Have you ever wondered why the Hebrew baby believers stayed in Jerusalem when all hell was breaking out against them? Why didn't they just get up and leave when their friends and families started becoming human torches for the emperor? I think I would have left. <laughs> I don't think I would have cared if I knew where I was going. <laughs> I always wonder why didn't they just leave without being forced to? Why wait <laughs> to be surrounded by your enemies? <laughs> but the Hebrew baby believers hadn't fully matured in the truths of the new covenant. So all of their old covenant indoctrination was still tripping them up. And what the Hebrew baby believers hadn't yet fully embraced was the spiritual reality of the complete victory that Jesus had accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus not only defeated the power of sin and death, but he also defeated all the powers of darkness that were spread over all the kingdoms of the world. Revelations tells us that the kingdoms of this world have already become the kingdoms of our God. In other words, ruling and reigning power was restored to Christ and his body. God has restored humanity's ruling and reigning privileges <laughs> to all who are in Christ. And the scriptures calls Satan the prince of the power of the air. And that's because he no longer has any legal territory. <laughs> He's got no place to lay his head because nothing on this earth belongs to him. <laughs> Our fellow has purchased back to himself his world and his humans. And both are now and forever the property of God. But God will always let humans choose whether or not they want to live in the kingdom of God's dear son or under the power of sin and death. The Hebrew baby believers didn't need to fear leaving physical Jerusalem because they had already become part of the new Jerusalem, which is the bride of Christ. Because of the cross, we are free to live in any physical country or city on earth without fear of territorial spirits having power over us. Yes, Satan will try to influence our situations with lies and deceptions through other people in an effort to hinder us in some way. But the truth is, our Jesus has completely destroyed their power and their dominion. And the Holy Spirit is in us to lead us into all truth. So we don't have to be afraid of Satan or even any of his fallen angels. We have become more than conquerors through the one who loved us and gave his life for us. And we can see this complete triumph in Christ and of Christ in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, the Apostle Paul writes, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope the confident expectation of good to which he has called you. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? We are his special possession. 
And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. The Holy Spirit wanted the Hebrew baby believers to recognize that what they were going through and what they were experiencing was nothing new. <laughs> Way back with Abraham, he had to leave his homeland too. He had to go where he didn't know where he was going to live. God has a way of showing us that the others have gone before us and succeeded. Not in their own strength, not in their own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it is with us. We learn from these Hebrew baby believers that, and so many today are, you know, Christians are afraid that there's a demon behind every door. It doesn't matter if there's a demon behind every door because they're under our feet. We don't have to fear a defeated enemy. All he can do is lie to us and throw nasty thoughts at our head. The scripture tells us he cannot touch us. We are the sole possession of our God and Father. We don't have to worry about a defeated foe. We just have to be smarter than him and listen and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Father God, that you help us to see what these Hebrew baby believers were going through. So many times, Father God, we have struggles too. We have to make changes. We have to do things differently in a way we've never done them before. Or maybe even you call us to a place we've never been before. But because we know we've heard your voice, we choose to do what you have led us to do. We thank you, Father God, for this little tiny church in Kenosha, Wisconsin. You called us to come to Kenosha when there was no good reason for us to come to Kenosha. <laughs> but God knew. God knew that the work that he was calling us to do here in this little town. We thank you for the privilege of ministering your word and your truth in this place that you have called us. You, Father God, are our future and our hope. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE G-I-V-E to 833-632-1315 or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you. God bless you.